1: Welcome to the DFO Rundown podcast with
0: Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com.
1: Welcome to the Daily Faceoff Rundown. I'm Jason Greger along with Frank Saravalli. We are coming to you live from the woodjerseys.com studios. I got my Boston Bruins wood jersey behind us. And uh, Frank, I got you
3: got one for your son. I did. Yeah. let my little guy pick this. Um, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs as much as it pains me to have any leaf gear in this house. uh, Just kidding. Uh, It doesn't bother me at all, but uh, I'm happy to hold this up because we've been talking for weeks, Jason, about the attention to detail in these wood jerseys. And it's actually pretty incredible when you see it up close and personal. So not sure if the camera can pick up a little bit more of that uh, than yours behind you, but this is uh, a really cool thing to add to your fan cave. Yeah, it's awesome. So uh, you can get yours at uh,
1: woodjerseys.com and uh, until this weekend, until Sunday, you can use the uh, promo code DFODAD15, that's DFODAD15, and you'll get uh, 15 bucks off your order. And get in uh, your team. If your dad's a, a huge fan, wants something to add to the uh, to the fan cave or wherever he may in the garage, you hang it up. It looks pretty cool. So check it out at woodjerseys.com. And uh, we got lots to discuss this week. Uh, Brad Larson, the uh, new head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets, will uh, join us. I'm looking forward to that because here's a guy who back in 2012 outlined – very clearly what his goal was. And that was to be an NHL head coach. And uh, uh, you know, he did a lot of research on coaches and the timeline and everything. So it should be fun to have him on and kind of how he's going to fill out his assistant coaching staff and such. And uh, what about the other hiring uh, stuff that's going on right now, Frank, we know that Gerard Galantz with the, uh, the New York Rangers, what else are you hearing?
3: Well, we know Rod Brindemore, of course, the Jack Adams award winner on Thursday night is staying with the Carolina hurricanes, having signed a contract extension not really any surprise there, but we know that there were a number of teams, including the New York Rangers, potentially the Seattle Kraken and also the Buffalo Sabres that were waiting to see what would happen with Rod Brindamore. And I think, you know, when you have a team like the Kraken, they're the team that I think everyone's most interested in who's going to be their first head coach. I think all signs at this point point to Rick Tockett and he checks so many boxes for that team. Um, You know, did a lot with a little in Arizona uh, has Stanley Cups on his resume as both a player and an assistant coach and of course has that relationship with not just Ron Francis but also Jason Botterill in their front office they work together in Pittsburgh him and Ron Francis won a Stanley Cup together as players so uh, I think Rick Tockett makes a lot of sense it sounds like he's going to have yet another conversation with the Kraken not done yet but I think it's probably safe to say that he's the front runner there seem to be some Rumor going around earlier in the week that David Quinn was in the mix in Seattle. I think David Quinn is in the mix in Arizona. I think a lot of people are curious what happens there. Uh, Mike Van Ryan is another guy, assistant coach from the St. Louis blues who previously coached in Tucson and in Kitchener. Uh, He's another guy that's uh, down there in Arizona that's been interviewing. And then the last opening is the Buffalo Sabres. Now, I don't know what the Buffalo Sabres are waiting for. It seemed to me like Don Granato was the choice the entire time. They've interviewed seemingly every person under the sun. And, you know, I still points to me that this is Don Granato's job, but I I don't think there's been any sort of, um, you know, movement towards a conclusion on that front. And I just think the longer it drags out, the more it looks like the Sabres, you know, aren't sure what they're doing.
1: Yeah. I saw a report earlier that I, I thought was kind of hogwash suggestion that talk. It didn't fit into the style of, uh, of Seattle. And I, I d- don't really what, understand. What does that
3: mean? There yeah, is no well, style.
1: They, they, Cause they felt like that they're going to be heavy analytics. And I'm like, I, I, I think people need to stop trying to suggest that there are NHL people who are anti analytics. And because one team has, a group of four people in their analytics department and somebody has a group of two doesn't mean that you more doesn't automatically mean better, right? It's a, it's quality over quantity. Uh, no question. I I think some teams, uh, might impact a little bit more, but all you have to do is look at the results on ice. There are some teams that are more heavy, uh, who have a bigger staff in analytics. They're not having guaranteed more
3: success than what does that that even mean? Like, I don't like, Anytime the word analytics comes up, my head explodes because like it drives me freaking bananas. Most people who are criticizing it don't even understand what it is. It's just information. We talked about this episode one of the DFO Rundown. We had Paul Maurice on, and he, he agreed. He's like, look, I'm just going to start calling it information from now on instead of analytics and see how that changes how people get riled up around the hockey world. It doesn't – there's no – Analytics camp versus non analytics camp. It doesn't work that way anymore. It's 2021. You take all of the information that's given to you, you process it and you use it in some way, whether it's big or small, it impacts every single thing that every team is doing. And it's not analytics. It's just information. It's statistics. It's, you know, it's, it's stuff that happens behind the scenes that people can work towards uh, in terms of trying to answer larger questions that we see around the game with regards to systems, because hockey is so random in nature, it's different than baseball or different than basketball with set plays. So, um, you know, and that's another thing. I'm glad we're actually talking right now about coaching, because I think if you were to, you know, ask around the, the four major professional sports leagues, which, coaches have the biggest, you know, what sport do coaches have the biggest impact in hockey? Wouldn't be near the top of the list. It would be football clear in a number one. Um, and then, you know, potentially you could make the, the argument that it's basketball and then hockey and then baseball. So, you know, there's very few set plays that actually work in hockey uh, to think that analytics are driving, you know, much of what's happening, I, I think is short-sighted.
1: I'd actually probably put baseball ahead because baseball is allowed to start from the exact same point every time. And uh, they do a lot of switching and everything else on different players. And so I think there's
3: even more of it. But that's almost robotic, is it not? Yeah,
1: yeah. At, at times it can be, yeah. Um, I, I think in the, the, the concern right now in the NHL when it comes to information is that some of the public stuff, people assume that it's accurate and it's, and it's very close to what actually the teams track. And I think that that can be misleading because, you know, I see some charts and you're like, well, that's a chart. That doesn't, that doesn't coincide with anything. Like you, for instance, I saw a chart on, on, uh, on Darnell Nurse that had him listed in 1% of penalty killers, meaning that they're, you know, 100% being the best. And he was 1%. Yet he plays the most minutes on the third best penalty killing team over the last two How years. How is that
3: even possible? Yeah,
1: it makes no sense. Like And for people to, I'm like, if, if you can't look at your model and say, well, hmm, maybe this isn't as accurate as I'm saying, like at least question it. Like, at least question,
3: it It doesn't make any sense to me. You're right. The numbers that we're seeing in the public are so totally different than what each individual team is tracking. And the funny thing is, some of what each individual teams are tracking could be different than what the other teams are looking at. So And not only that, but they're also looking for different things. Like, that's really what separates the best departments from you know, departments that are the least advanced is that they're just tracking and, and and going that much deeper on what they're looking for. Well, the key is taking the information and then figuring out what
1: it's telling you. And some and, and all of us just like, uh, you know, you're going to det- you're going to come up with different uh, analysis and thesis at the end of it, which is great. And and obviously the teams that use it better will have success. But the crazy thing about the NHL playoffs is there so much of it. I remember. Uh, I had Rob Volman on my show and he talked about how he still believes after all the tracking that there's like 38 to 40% of the game is luck that you cannot track. Yep. Right? That's why I was it's,
3: saying about coaching. It has nothing to do with it. It's complete luck.
1: And, and what's infuriating for a lot of people is they don't want to, con- they want to tell themselves that luck after all our hard work. And I understand that because that is, that can be a mental mind screw. If you're just like, man, we've done everything right. We prepared all our guys right. And luck can be, you get the wrong injury at the wrong time. Right? It can be as simple as a, as a Steve Smith own goal that you could have never prepared for. And that was a team that, that cost them the potential five Stanley Cups in a row. And we know mm-hmm. other, other plays that have gone wrong just on, on a sheer bad bounce can be the difference in winning a series because these teams now that are in the final, like I still think Tampa is the best team, but you know New York is is right there in the games they lose, right? They just lose by a goal, but mm-hmm. a goal in the NHL is still a significant margin. Mm -hmm.
3: It it is. And look, you know what? Um, I think moving forward, the quicker we all recognize how much of a factor luck plays in, like there's just some things in life and science that aren't explainable. And, And I think you have to allow for that possibility in hockey as well. And I think the best teams and staffs also do account for that. I believe
1: when, and I'm I'm compiling another article because I did mine on defensemen and the size and experience of defensemen, which you I seem to be out. getting
3: uh, some f- interesting feedback on that, by
1: the way. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, what kind of feedback you're getting?
3: Well, no, I just I, I tweeted out the, the link and it seemed to get a response that, you know, people were saying, you know, OK, so you told us that defensemen are big in the in the Stanley Cup playoffs and they they win. Like, OK, so so what? And I'm like, it's not just about size yeah. though. It's
1: experience is the key. And you like Colorado, I said before the series, Frank, when, when you're top four averaged, like, you know, about 150 NHL games and weighed 191 pounds, like history tells us you're not going to win. And so it's not like, that's why I try to use the average, but then you drill down even more when the guys who are playing the most in the NHL playoffs on the blue line, forwards are different, right? Forwards are different uh, on average. They're smaller. Right. There's also 12 of them, but it's just different. Like defending in today's NHL is huge. But I think the other big one is because now I'm looking at goaltenders, Frank, and, and we see it in the NHL play. If you don't have a goalie and, and most of the goalies are homegrown, right? Like you look at Stanley cup winners, it's drafting and developing their own guys. You got to go back to Boston you know, to in 2011. And then of course Chicago in 2010 that didn't have the home grown goalie
3: as their mm-hmm. winner. So that's your and, next article.
1: Yeah. And it's just goalie? looking because this year in the draft, there's two goalies that are scheduled to go in the first round.
3: We right? had Craig and, button on and he said he would be shocked if two goalies don't go in the first round. He said you could have three. Yeah. And it's
1: like for a long time, I think some teams maybe put off the importance of goaltending because they're like, ah, you know, you can find one later, but Man, look at Vasilevsky, right? Look at Price, look at Fleur. There's three first-rounders, right? Three mm-hmm. first-rounders. And then Varlamov, same thing. So you got four That's starting f- goalies. Four first-rounders. First yeah, yeah, in the final four. So it's... uh And Sorokin, you know, another good draft pick. So it, it's something I think the teams... that and, and I think for decades, the NHL teams, well, they got goalie coaches... Did they get goalie scouts to really scout the goaltenders? And I think it's such an important position. I I believe in the next 10 years, the teams that are best at scouting goalies are the ones that are ultimately going to have success.
3: But why didn't we get, I know this sounds like a dumb question to ask and it's easy to ask it with hindsight, but why did it take so long to get to that point where teams are now developing, you know, they have goaltending departments. It's like, it's such a big impact on the game and we've known forever how important goaltending is it's, you know, the number one position in the sport, but it's almost like there was a wariness to it because uh, goalies are just different people (laughs) or goalies are, you know, I don't understand it. So I'm going to park it over here. Well, like why, why did it take 50 years of evolution to get to this point?
1: That's a good question, Frank. And we have a guest coming up. uh, We're not confirmed yet, but we got a guest coming up talking about goaltending specifically in the next few weeks of the pod, which will be a great. Yeah, it'll be great. Now, um, uh, speaking of guests, uh, today we've got the new head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets, Brad Larson, is going to join us on the pod. And now we are joined by the new head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets. He, of course, was drafted by the Ottawa Senators and then drafted again in 1997 by the Colorado Avalanche, went to the Stanley Cup final with the uh, Colorado Avalanche in 2000. And uh, two, he also was a member of the Columbus Blue Jackets organization for 11 years, four years in their AHL organization, the last seven as an assistant coach. And now he is their head coach. Brad Larson joins us. Brad, welcome to the Daily Faceoff Rundown. How are you doing?
4: I'm doing good. Thanks for having me.
1: Now, before we get to the coaching and congratulations on that, I want to go back to, to your start. So you get drafted in 95 by Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Then your rights got traded to Colorado. You yeah. didn't sign with them. You go back in the draft and they drafted you again. T- tell me about that as to you know why they didn't sign you. And then they drafted you. It must've been a kind of a confusing time for a young guy.
4: Yeah. Well, you know what we, my agent and I, at the time, we decided not to sign with them and it wasn't because we, we didn't like the organization. We just, they were young. I mean, this, they were full of talent. It was like the Adam Dedmarsh and Fordsburg and all that crew coming in. And I I didn't think that I had a chance to make it for about 10 years because they were so (laughs) talented. So um, we decided not to sign. It wasn't a money thing or uh, there was no hard feelings. It was just, I think we thought a lack of possible opportunity. And so we went back in the draft and they actually warned us. They said, look, if, if you're available in a spot where, where, where we think we could get you, we're going to, we would draft you again. And, you know, I was actually, I didn't go to the draft or anything. I was, I was just taken off to go on a trip and I got the phone call and they said, you got redrafted. So by Colorado and at first I was kind of, I was upset and devastated, but it, it worked out well being in that organization for seven years. And, uh, you know, it's funny how things work out.
1: Yeah, that that is, that is very crazy. And I think it's maybe just kind of a, an introduction to, to how the NHL is going to be, uh, you know, expect the unexpected a little bit, Brad. And you've been somebody who, you know, who who grounded out in the AHL for a long time and then made it to the NHL. Uh, You know, injuries uh, definitely played a part uh, late in your career. And you had to make a tough decision. You you had finished playing the American League. It looked like you were coming back. And then suddenly you retired in August because you got a a job in Springfield as the assistant coach. Take us back to that summer and that negotiations. Uh, Did you approach them? Did they approach you? How did you go from being a, a player one year to next year being an assistant? Assistant coach
4: by that point in my career i would i'd missed the season before i got traded to anaheim from atlanta uh and and i missed the whole season i had double sports hernia surgery i had hip surgery it was just kind of a mess going on uh, with my lower body so got through that got healthy and i uh, felt like i'd give it one last crack and and so i played with under kevin Deneen in portland maine in buffalo system was a was a good year but I could feel it I knew I knew I was done I I was my line mates were uh were Paul Byron and and Nathan Gerby and I learned very quickly I couldn't keep up with any of those two so um I knew my time was coming to an end and so I I had thought about coaching since I was a teenager to be honest with you since I was probably 18 or 19 I really enjoyed being around the, the game the teaching part of it the aspect So, and being injured a lot, like you mentioned before, I was hurt a lot in my career. So every time I got hurt and being a fringe player as I was, I, I, you know, I wasn't a a top six forward by any means. I was just kind of hanging on my whole career. So you always come back to what are you, what are you passionate about? What do you love to do? And it was always in hockey. I didn't really want to scout or do anything like that. I wanted to be as close to the game as possible. And, and so um, I actually started, going to coaches clinics before my career was over and, and uh, reaching out to other coaches about you know what's it going to look like and, and everybody had advice where it would be hey you might want to learn the video so even my last year in portland maine under kevin there was a uh, kevin collins who is our strength coach now was strength coach and video coach for uh, kevin deneen in portland maine and at the end of the season i asked him and i'm like hey can you just teach me how to cut a tape so I would go in once or twice a week, and and for about a month to learn how to cut video, because I, I I knew as an assistant coach it's going to be required. So, um, so by the end of the month I could do it. I could take a raw raw game and cut it and sort it and do labels and all that stuff. So, so I, I had planned earlier, uh, even when playing. You know, like the old adage says, it's easier uh, to find a job when you have one. So I figured I might as well get rolling now, right? And and that was kind of a tumultuous, uh, summer. I, i had testicular cancer. I'd found out right going into playoffs and, um, you know, which required surgery and then radiation. And, and, you know, I didn't say anything to anybody. I, I kind of found out right going into playoffs in the minors. We got, we got beat, thank goodness. Cause then, then I could, uh, move forward. But, uh, um, I knew I was done. I, I had kind of started to network and, and get out to send some emails and, and stuff, personal emails to every GM and every assistant GM I got uh, some calls back from a couple of teams and it, it happened pretty quick. Actually, there was two teams involved and, and Columbus kind of rose to the forefront there at the end. And, and I was just grateful that I could retire as a player because I was down physically. And I think mentally too.
3: Right. It's so rare to hear someone say that, you know, even since they were a teenager, they were really drawn to coaching, especially with a promising career ahead of them as a player. But, you know, you mentioned the teaching part of it. What else about, those role drew you in what, you know, how much of it was systems, how much of it is just people and getting to know guys and what makes them tick. Is it all of it?
4: Yeah, it's a little bit of everything. I I really value the relationship part of it. I, 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 it's so intriguing to me. And and the one thing about this job is every day it's different every single day. doesn't matter. Head coach, assistant coach, there's a new challenge in front of you, whether it's, you know, even when you're winning uh, it's how you're going to keep winning when you're losing, how you're going to get out of it. And then there's everything in between. There's, when you're when you're a coach of a group of, of young men, and um, there's a lot of different personalities, uh, as you know, and not everybody is coached the same. You, you you know, not not everybody fits into one box. So it's there's there's so many moving parts from the structure part of it to you know the uh, the individuals to you know the special teams to you know just the dynamic with with your coaching staff and building chemistry there. And so it's the closest you can get to playing without playing, you know, and, and, and you're, you're right. Ice level, you feel the energy, you have some input, you, you know, you're there to help, you know, it, it, to me, that's, that's the the most fun as a coach is when you see a group of men come together, um, they're, they're passionate. they're inspired, they're, they're working hard for each other. To me, that's the reward. It, it's, it's not about you as the coach, it, you know, if anything, you want to stay in the background and let those guys go to work. And when you see them pull together, that's it's, it's a, it's a great experience.
3: Mm -hmm. I was struck Brad in your opening press conference uh, when you were being introduced as coach about just the emotion you had when you were asked about John Tortorella and it was pretty clear what he meant to you and your family. But one of the toughest things in this sport, I think sometimes is to go from being an assistant under a head coach to then taking over that same group next season. How do you think things will be different? How do you think things will be the same in Columbus?
4: Well, yeah, I mean, I could talk for 25 minutes on a a guy like Torts and what he's meant to me and my family, Um, you know, and to get the opportunity to come here. And and really, when I when I took the assistant job here uh, in Columbus, I wanted to take a step back, believe it or not. And and I wanted to see the NHL as an assistant coach, not as a head coach. Uh, You know, at that point, I was a, a head coach in the American League. It was going fairly well. I had two good seasons and we won a couple of division titles and I had a great staff. I had hired Jared Bednar and Nolan Pratt. So we had an outstanding staff, good team. So, so things were going really well. I, I sought advice out of uh, uh, you know, and I'll even tell you the three coaches. I, I talked to Todd McClellan who i had had in junior for uh, three years and he was a guy I have a tremendous amount of respect and, and uh, Ken Hitchcock who kind of mentored me when I first got in and, and Mike Babcock who had he was a head coach for me in world juniors and I was captain of that team. So, those are, I mean, incredible resources to ask. And, and I asked them all, you know, should I stay? Should I go? And they all told me to stay in the American League as a head coach. And, you know, if you do things right, you'll be a head coach in, in, a, in a few years. And But, you know, something in my gut was telling me that's just not the path I wanted to take. I wanted, I wasn't fast tracking and I was in no hurry to be a head coach. And quite honestly, I studied all the coaches in, you know, I looked at, you know, going hockey DB or whatever you want and you see their path. And the ones that lasted are the ones that took their time. You know, they they didn't rush into it. They didn't they didn't jump levels or jump uh, uh, different experiences. And and you know, I live by this this statement of you, you can't substitute experience. It's it's just you've got to go through stuff, good and bad. And so when I came here, it was to take a step back and be under a staff. And it was Todd Richards, um, Craig Hartsburg, uh, uh, Ian Clark was a goaltending coach. It was a tremendous staff. And so I got to sit back and I watched the dynamic between management and head coach and, um, different ideas and how they operated. And and so it was important for me and we didn't have the success we wanted. And then torts came in and, you know, he, he, he inherited me. So it wasn't like he brought me in. I remember sharing with my wife. I'm like, I don't, I might get fired here in, in a week, a day. I don't know. So, um, I, but I quickly realized after a week or two with torts that, uh, that I was excited. I I, t- I talked to another assistant coach who had worked with him and he, he raved about him. He said, you're going to love him. And, uh, were, he was spot on. He's, he's a guy that's, uh, I think he's very misunderstood by a lot of people. He doesn't let a lot of people in and, and, and he understands that. And I understand why, but he, the, the way he cares about his staff, his players, um, you know, his passion for winning his drive to make the team better. It's really all about the team. It's, it's never about him. It's never about, uh, uh, you know, showing who he is. He just, he, he, every day he wants that team to try and get better. And he's always trying to think of ways to do that. And he has a standard. And, and I think that's why we see eye to eye is that, you know, this, this black and white standard, what it looks like in, in accountability. And and everybody loves that word, but you know, it, until it's you, you know, until and, and it's the actual player. So but he's very clear on the standard, who it is, doesn't matter who the player is. Um, and, and so I really enjoyed seeing that because I believed in those things. I, I thought th- that's something that I was very passionate about. So I got to witness it from a guy who's won a Stanley Cup, um, you know, borderline Hall of Fame guy in, in probably the NHL, USA Hockey, I'm guessing he's going to get in. So so that was really neat for me. And But then, you know, like you said, how is it going to be different? right? Well, for me, it's an easy answer. I'm going to be myself. And, and I think I, I, it's advice I got early was always be true to who you are. And, and I, and I'm going to do that, uh, you know, going through the interview process with the blue jackets, I promised myself, I wouldn't be a salesman. I'm, I'm not here to sell you something that I can't deliver on. And so when I went into that, it was, it was just be who you are. And, and if that's what they're looking for, then you'll get the job. And if not, it's okay, I'll move on. And, Again, I wasn't chasing the job. I wasn't in a rush, and I feel like I'm ready. But if they didn't see it the same way, it was okay. I, I'll find a job somewhere. I felt confident in that. So, so when I uh, I got the yes, uh, it, it's I'm excited. I you know I get to build a new staff, and and you know we lose a guy like Brad Shaw, who's a tremendous coach, and he's now in Vancouver and smart man, very very organized, um, very good hockey mind. Vancouver's got a real good coach in him. Um, but now I get to surround myself with the people that uh, that I think can help this organization. And I'm I'm really looking forward to that.
1: You came from the American League and I, I found an article back in 2012 and, and you had a plan. You were very it seemed very regimented. Mm-hmm. My goal is to be an NHL head coach. But as you just said, it wasn't going to be a fast track To to have that patience, Brad, is something that a lot of us struggle with how were you able to always kind of stay on your path and know that okay i'm leaving springfield even though my mentor said i should probably stay here you know how much of that is gut feel and then when you're there to just remain you know focused and and not be distracted by you know like jared Bettner a guy that you coach with suddenly he's a head coach to think that you know what hey my time will come how were you able to remain poised and patient or were there challenging times during these last nine years
4: it was easy. I I, I love what I was doing. It, it was, you know, I was, I was very blessed to be in a, a situation with an organization that was on the uprise um, with a guy who had a tremendous amount of respect, like, like torts grew me every year. That's the thing. You weren't just pigeonholed into one spot and, and every year it got more and more on my plate. It was tons of hours and work, but it was so worth it. And, and it was, we we were on a, the right path. Like we we've done some really good things here. So uh for a guy like when i see bedsy go up i was so excited for him i can't tell you what you know actually i had a few conversations letting that organization know how good he really was he was a tremendous coach for me um you know i'm a big believer in surround yourself with the best people possible and and find people way smarter than yourself and you know it's not that hard in my case but uh so a guy like bedsy was uh what a resource to have and you know, he's humble. He works hard. You don't have to micromanage him. He's a guy that um, you ask for his opinion, he's going to give it, but, uh, and you see what he's doing. I mean, his his resume speaks for itself, but when you say a guy like that, if you look at his resume, he put his time in. He wasn't, he didn't just show up and and go two years East coast, one in in the American league and get a head job. He put his time in. And, you know, I, I think it probably took him 13, 14 years to get that head job and he won a championship. So, so again, another guy, Put the work in, he put the time in, and and look what he's doing now. So, um, to be honest, you it, it hasn't been hard at all. And and if I wouldn't have got this job, uh sure, I would have been disappointed, but it would have been exciting that there's a new challenge ahead of me. And and again, it's not the fast track. This it's not a there's 32 jobs, you know, now because Seattle's in, and so it's a hard job to get, and there's Uh, It's, it's very humbling. There's, there's so many qualified guys and, you know, people are asking me, are you nervous? Are you, I'm like, no, I, there's nothing I can do about that. There's, there's so many guys that are, have more qualifications than me and experience. And if that's what they want, I I can't change that. I'm not trying to change their mind. I'm either going to be what they want at this point or I'm not. So um, I slept well. I, I, I didn't, I I had moments of, I'll say this, and I said it to my wife, it wasn't It wasn't stress. There was tension because this interview was very different because I'm, you know, they're wondering how it's going to be different, you know, you know, working with a man and of towards a stature. um, And I have so much respect for him and what he's done for me, my family and this organization, but they're asking me, what am I going to do different? You know? So I feel like I'm arguing against myself a little bit. And I certainly didn't want to put down a man that I have this much respect for. So, and they understood that, but I think what they were searching for is, you know, the teams do need a new voice at some point. They don't want the same messaging. They don't want the same meetings. They, and I, so I understood that. That, But that was my challenge is how do I, how do I present myself without uh, talking down about someone else, which I believe in a lot of the stuff that we did, and I still do. So I, I think through the process of, of the interview, I think they, they saw it. They felt my passion, my energy what it's going to look like, um, but being honest with them going, look, this isn't going to be an overhaul. I think we've done a lot of great things here. Um, the difference is me. It, that's who it, it's going to be. So get to know me. I'm going to build a staff, and and, and I believe that that staff is going to be the right fit for this group.
1: And, and Brad, so you being an assistant coach at the American league level in the NHL, and of course a head coach. So you talk about how, how John, you know, kept allowing you to grow and make you better and give you more responsibility when you're looking for, for your coach. Obviously, I think you're going to want a, a defensive coach. Usually that's, you know, want somebody to run the defense and that's where, uh, what Brad Shaw did, but what, what type of personality, what are you looking for in your coaching staff and how close are you to filling it out? Uh, there, there's
4: a, there's one guy I'm, fairly far along on it and we'll see where it goes um the other position i'm I'm working on like you know there's been no shortage of calls and emails and uh, again there's a lot of qualified people um first and foremost i'm looking for something different than myself i you know i bring a certain energy and a passion and and i don't need to hire me i need something different than me and it's got to be a good fit uh, I want men a- of integrity and character and communicators. You know, I think the game is at a place now where you need you need to be accessible. You need to be um, comfortable having conversations with guys uh, daily, not just once a week or once a month. It's it's this constant feedback that the players are looking for and require. Um, they got to be good teachers of the game, uh, patient. Uh, the the one thing, this patient endurance, I think, is is two words that I kind of live by because you know we. We get frustrated as coaches sometimes when they don't, they're not executing or doing it. And, and you know, my, my earlier version of a coach, I'd get frustrated and mad. And, and now I, I, I look at it through different lenses where I'm going, okay, that's not working with this player X. So what's the next route? Like, okay, we've tried this. Maybe he needs a little bit more one-on-one. Maybe it has to be on the ice, literally standing beside him and, and show him exactly what we need. Um, get to know him, building trust, building that 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 trust that I, I have your best interests at heart. I I want to win as a team, but I'm you know I care about you first before the player. And like anything, that takes time. Anything in life that's worth uh, value, whether that's love, friendship, it takes time to build that. And and so I want my coaches to embrace that in an, in a different way than I'm going to do it, and challenge me as a head coach and grow me as a head coach also. Where where, you know, I'm sitting in the room and, and cause I'm going to value their opinion. I think I've been in the shoes and, and I know what it's like. And, it, and it's, there's nothing better than when the head coach is, is listening to you, he's hearing you and, and he uses you and he grows you it's, uh, it, it's really empowering. And I want to empower my coaches so that, you know, we're, we're a true staff and that the players see that
3: right up until last season, the blue jackets were one of the most consistent teams in the league over the last handful of years. We had Yarmo on a couple months ago to, you know, work through what happened last season, but looking forward, how do you describe where this team is at? You know, obviously there's going to be changes this summer, the expansion draft, everyone's going to have some form of change and then everyone's got their eye on the Seth Jones situation. Is it, you know, I think rebuild is probably way too strong of a word is, is refresh a fair way to describe what you, what we may be seeing from the blue jackets in the fall.
4: Well, everybody wants to label it right now, and I, and I, am very hesitant to do that at this point. And you know, we're going to see what we look like probably mid August to September, right? So, um, you know, the, the Seth Jones situation is the real situation, and and we're going to have to deal with it. And you know, we we've been through this before here, and and so, however this plays out, we'll deal with it. We'll move forward, and and you know, we all know what we think of Seth Jones. He's a tremendous person, tremendous player. We'd love to have him here. But you know, as we know, as players get along in their careers and, and have success, they get rights, and so uh, it, it's well within his rights to make that decision. And, and if, if he goes forward with it, then we have to make a decision as an organization, and, and then we plan accordingly. So um, once we get to that August September, I think we'll have a much clearer picture of where we're going to be at. Um, you know, uh, the thing about you know using rebuild, retool, all these these uh, these terms. It, it's really just, we want to build a foundation and, you know, and, and so that's going to be a daily process of, of what it's going to look like as far as structure, as far as our intensity, as far as our practice habits. And, and that take, that takes time. And, and, you know, we'll see what our team looks like uh, at the end of all these decisions and, and then move forward from there.
3: How do you assess what you got from Patrick line last year? Obviously, it, you know, it comes along after the start of the season and it's, you know, not necessarily the quickest adjustment uh, in terms of meshing everything properly. Mm -hmm. You know, he's an unbelievable talent. He does something that so few players in this league can do. And it seems like he does it so easily at times. How do you, you know, re-engage Patrick Line and get him back on track? Well,
4: first of all, I think it'll be a breath of fresh air, like a fresh start for him. You know, it was a whirlwind. When you first get traded, I, I, unless you're, you're in those, those, Situations—you never know how the player is going to react or what it's going to do to you. How hard it is, you know. He had been in one organization; he gets traded, and and even though there's there's talk, until it happens, it's really it's a really sobering moment where you're going, okay, we need you here tomorrow, you know. And not to mention we're in a pandemic here. Not to mention there's no there's no camp; you can't build chemistry, see what's what what the coaching staffs like, players are like. Um, You're not moving to a
3: different country. Yeah, I mean, like another, there's a lot another, to
4: it. Yeah, you're not you're not going to be able to hang out with your teammates at all um, because everybody's in mass and isolated. So, it, first of all, there's that factor that that goes into. It was a, it was a crazy year. There's no fans, so you lose the energy of the game right away. Um, I think that was the the biggest thing we all felt. It's it just you know, I remember being in Chicago and, and the first time we we're there, they do the national anthem. Normally, you're all excited. Even as a coach, you're all fired up. And and it's like he ends and it's just thud you know, you're going, wow, this really is a pandemic year. <laughs> like there's no energy in this building. So, so back to Patty, tremendous talent. We know that he's, he's got, uh, I, I think everyone tries to label him too. Of, 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 I've heard lazy and all this, he's not a lazy player. He, he, he cares. And I, I, I have talked with Patty and I felt like he was trying to do too much. And, and so, you know he he had good chemistry with certain players in in Winnipeg uh, and you know so that takes time too. What that's going to look like? So there's so many factors. I the the thing with him is is understanding who he is, um, what kind of player he he's he, when he's most effective, uh, but not trying to do too much, right? And I think when you come to a new team, you want to impress right away. You want to do all these things, and it snowballed all the wrong way for him and um, He's been very accountable to that. I think he he knows he's he's it's a huge summer for him as far as uh you know getting in the best shape. You know, everybody says the same thing, but it's really it's necessary to to be a big man in this league and move up and down the ice. And if you want the minutes, you've got to be in tremendous shape and you know, be competitive, but but stay within your your skill set, grow on it course but but don't try to do stuff that you you, you maybe you're not you're not I shouldn't say not capable but it's it's so far out of your comfort zone it's 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 being counterproductive and and I felt like that's where his game got is he he was trying so hard and doing things it's like he wanted to put the whole team on his back and and this is a team sport you you use your teammates and and trust they're going to get the job done and um, you know talking with him he's very excited to kind of take a breath get in shape and get back and have a camp and get rolling
3: Jay, if I could ask a quick follow, you know, I'm really glad Brad, you mentioned that, you know, about the narrative that sometimes exists about players. And I I think you hit it right on the head with Patrick. Like when I watch him, it's almost like, and then you see his reaction post game. Sometimes he actually, it's almost like he cares too much. And I don't know if that's possible, but he does put a lot of pressure on himself. And as someone like yourself, who is clearly, comfortable in your own skin do you think there's any part of that that you could maybe pass on to him that you know sort of helps him make him feel a little bit more comfortable to the point where he hasn't necessarily figured out that part of the game yet mentally in his own headspace
4: yeah it's he's young and and it's hard when the problem is when you start the career the way he did and he's firing bullets and scoring goals left and right um the expectations go like this real quick and, and for, that's a lot of pressure on players. And, you know, I never had to deal with that kind of pressure as a player. I was just trying to survive in the league, let alone uh, put up numbers. So I've actually talked to uh, players and, and I've talked to a first overall draft pick in the NHL. And I've talked to a second overall and asked them those exact questions. What was it like? with that kind of pressure? What, what I, you know, cause I don't know what it's like and, and to try and get in their headspace and go, you know, how did you deal with social media? How did you deal with the pressures of being the guy to have to score every night or be the number one defenseman? What, what is that feeling like? Did you feel the pressure of it? Is there a, were you worried? Were you anxious? Did you just sleep well? You know, and, and it's, a, it's interesting when you talk to the two of them, how the pressures were different, but, um, but in the same, in, in, but the same in a lot of aspects also. So I've tried to kind of research that a little bit and, and so that I can build a re- relationship and trying to understand him better of what that feels like. Cause I don't know what that feels like. I can't pretend to so that I can offer help. And, you know, the, the one thing that I've, I've shared with a lot of these guys is, you know, whose, whose opinion do you value? I think that's, that to me, is should be a staple in your life. And, and there's a lot of opinions out there, you know, uh, from shows to social media to you're going to hear it, if you look for it and be careful when they're telling you how good you are. Cause a lot of times you're not as good as you are. And, and oftentimes you're not nearly as bad as they're telling you are either. So um, that, that idea for me is, is who, which opinion do you value? That's so important for me to the player. Um And, and, And understanding that, you know, in these walls here, we care about you. We're going to try and help you in every situation we can, but you got to put the work in.
1: Brad, it's, you know, you mentioned Ken Hitchcock was one of your mentors and Ken's talked openly about, he feels, you know, to have success as a coach, you got to get on the same page as your best players. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Dave McGinnis, the head coach of the bears now on my show recently, and he joked, he says, Hey, guess what? The best years of my career is when I had the best players. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you understand a coach is, 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 to a point is only as good as his players. Obviously you want to try to maximize that. Um, Mm -hmm. When you look at a coach today and you compare yourself to when you first came in and what you learned what, what, where have you grown the most, do you feel, as a head coach? And was there one thing you've learned in the last decade that maybe you didn't know about coaching that's more important today than, than maybe you thought it was when you first entered the pro
4: ranks? Yeah. For myself, uh, you know, like every young coach, when you first come in, I mean, you're gangbusters, right? You're full of juice and energy and, and, and you're going to show everybody how smart you are and how good you are. You know, the, the one mistake I think I made and, uh, is, I was going to dot every I, cross every T. There wasn't going to be any information that they weren't going to get. I remember being in the American League and and this is when I was head coach and we're playing the the Hartford Wolfpack uh, for the, I think the 12th time of that season. And, you know, I'm showing 25 clips of five on five video and, you know, because it makes me feel good as a coach, right. They have all the information. Um, it, It was so wrong. And when I look back and it's just too much, it's, it's, it, it really. I, I focused on a lot of the wrong things. We had good seasons, but I think I could have helped these players more and put more value in certain areas. So when I got here, um, under Richie and then even more so under torts, um, where the focus was sorely on us all the time and, and no senseless meetings, no overkill on it. Um, when we teach, it's about us. We don't worry about the other team. And, and you know, obviously there's, there's certain situations of playoffs and, and, um, things that we'll draw attention to, but at the end of the day, the, our focus was us. So that's probably the most where I grown. I think building relationships is, is way more important than the X's and O's and that old saying that you hear, you know, they only care what you know, it, it, or they only know what you, oh, how am I going to say it now? If I say it properly, they only care what you know if they only know that you care. So that's what I'm trying to get across there, you fellas. But um, again, that's, it, it, it's very simple, but it, it's a process, and and it's a hard thing to do to build trust, and because there's a lot of moving parts at, at this level, because there's careers and, and and a lot of money involved and different things and stats. But they have to know you care first before they really care anything that you're doing X's and O's. So. If there's one area that I would say I switch gears was, was valuing the people more and get to know them. Um, I'm an, an inspired player is a, is a much better player than someone who's just playing like a robot.
1: Awesome. Frank, uh, can we get to rapid fire? Yeah, let's do a roll? little rapid fire. All All right, yeah. Okay. Sure. So Brad yep. and rapid fire. We like to have a little bit of fun. Uh, the only rule is you have to answer the questions.
4: All right. All right.
1: Okay. All right. So uh, here we go. We'll start with an easy one. Uh, Brad Larson's cocktail of choice. Coffee. Coffee. Ooh, dark. What do you what is straight? What do you drink?
4: Just black. Yeah.
1: Just black. Okay. Yep. Um, Todd McClellan, you mentioned him earlier. He was your junior coach nope. for three years. Now you're gonna coach against him uh this year. That'll probably be a thrill for sure. What was your favorite Todd McClellan saying that he used as a coach in Swift Current?
4: Gosh, like you're going way back. I I can't remember saying I really I uh, what Todd uh I, I can't think of one. I, I would tell you if I did. It's not that I'm I'm, I'm dodging the question. I just can't think of a Todd okay. McCallum saying.
1: What was his best or funniest trait you remember as a head coach in junior?
4: Uh, well, I don't want to be mean to the guy.
3: You should be. Yeah, yeah. Todd's got a good sense of humor. There,
4: yeah. there was some guys that made made fun of the size of his hat size.
3: <laughs> he does have that. a huge melon. He does. Well,
4: I mean, you said it, not me. So. Yeah. There were times where there was, we drew attention to that.
1: Okay. Um, uh, this is a tough one. You won two gold medals, the world juniors, 96, 97. You have to no. pick one, which was a more fun or better experience? Ooh.
4: Well, the, the, the second one I was the captain of, and I don't think it was uh, more fun. I actually, you, in, you talk about pressure. We had won four in a row and you didn't want to be the captain that screwed this up. So it was relief and, and, and honestly, Mike Babcock, I think was in the same boat. We, we won, I remember sitting on the bench after we won in Switzerland there and looking at each other and just kind of taking a breath, it, you know, we could finally enjoy it, but you know, we didn't drop the ball. We, we kept the ball rolling. There was five in a row. And, and so that was, that was very gratifying. It was uh, you get named captain and you're excited. And then, and then reality hits you like, Oh, we can't screw this up we got to make sure we win you know and there's a lot of pressure that comes so it was a relief and, and an exciting time
1: what do you correlate between being a captain of a world juniors we're going to bring together a group very quickly what skill set there is going to help you as a coach
4: well i it, it, it really, it's really it's a lot of the same intangibles as a captain um you know what i learned was and again i i think i if i could be a leader now and what I've learned in this, I, I think I'd be a much better leader. But you learn that your words are great, you know, but really your actions tell me everything. And so um, I, I want to get to know the players. I, I want to talk to them. And, but, it, you know, once we walk out of this room in the next month or two months and whatever we've talked about, the action is the most important thing. It's going to tell me everything. If you value it, you're going to do it. And, and so that's something that I would, I've taken as a leader and, and I'm going to, you know, bring you as a coach as well.
1: Now I can ask this question, Brad, because if, if you look at my dome, so are you, I look at there, you got a lot of stubble on there. Is that a, are you premature thinking the dream is over or do you just like going down to the wood?
4: You know, when I shaved my head in 2005, it was a lockout year. We were, uh, I was with the Chicago Wolves and, and I decided I'm going to shave it, grow a beard. And we went to the finals that year and, I have, I have pretty thick hair. If you see, I got wrinkles yeah. in my head. Too. Ah. You know, every, every, I'm going to set the record say I don't shave lines in my head and I don't do designs. <laughs> this, this, is, this is what to get. This oh, is yeah. it. You know? So, so we can squash that rumor right away. I'm, I'm not that uh, uh, creative with my hair, but I shaved it and I loved it. And there was no more product or gel or any of that stuff. And I'm, you know, I said that's it. So the last time I grew my hair out was, was before the playoffs in 2005. And I've never, I've always shaved it.
1: Oh, I love it. So, to, I, cause I know you're good friends. If we came to training camp in September and you have to do a conditioning test, who's having better results, Brad Larson or Jared Bednar?
4: Oh, I, well, so are we talking on ice, like uh, conditioning as far as like cardio? Yeah.
1: Yeah, oh, like, you know, you got to do the he, all
4: day down. long. See, Betsy's all about the weights and looking big and buff. And, you know, <laughs> you can tell him that too. He's cardio, he hates cardio. And if he says he does it, he's a liar. He, he, he might walk on the treadmill a little bit, but he's like, you know, he's all into his, you know, bulking phase and trying to get big arms and stuff. So, yeah, all day long, I'd bury it.
1: Okay. Have you ever jumped when the cannon went off?
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah. When I first got the job, and, and the best part about it is towards the exact same thing. When, when he got the job, he was to my right, and that thing went off. He almost jumped out of his shoes the first three times. It was hilarious. But yeah, it gets you when you're you, you know, the last thing you're thinking about when you first get to a new team is the cannon going off, and it gets you. It's, it's, it's intense. Oh, so
1: I'm guessing you'll 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 talk to your video guys to ensure that whoever your new assistant coaches are for opening night, somebody's going to video them uh, for the first goal, and then you show that in the the highlight reel in the video room later on.
4: Yeah, ISO cam for sure, and I don't want to draw any attention to it because they they will jump. There's no you can't avoid it. Brad, thank you so much for
1: joining us. Uh, congratulations. I really loved your your whole outlook. It seemed like you're somebody who who's had a goal in mind, uh, didn't feel the, the need to fast track it, and, and really comfortable in who you are. And uh, I wish you all the best of success in Columbus, and we look forward to having you back on the pod down the road.
4: All right. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brad. You bet.
1: Brad Larson. He was outstanding. Like, I'm, I'm listening to him talk, Frank, and I could just... Refreshing. He's refreshing and he just, he's so direct in, in his approach. I can see how without him even coaching an NHL game yet, he's going to have a reputation of a player's guy because the players I think are going to respect that. He's just so
3: authentic. As a thats coach. I'm so glad you said authentic. Cause that's the word that was on the tip of my tongue. That's what it was. It was genuine. It was, you know, this is who I am. I'm not going to try and be something that I'm not. And it'll be real easy to tell whenever, if that happens you know? And so that's one of those things that honesty having been through it, been a, as he called it, a fringe player. Um, I think that just goes such a long way.
1: Yeah. He, and you know what, he, people will look and say, oh, I didn't play a lot, but he played in some crucial situations you know, we talked to him off air about the time in Colorado, you know, that like that was Detroit, Colorado series, my goodness. So, uh, I'm really intrigued to see who he hires and w- how they approach the Seth Jones trade because if Seth Jones is going to free agency, obviously they're going to move him, no mm-hmm. question. So it's just a matter of of you know I think that's Yarmo's job more than the head coach, but you yep. know they'll probably have some say a little bit on hey, what about this guy that you think you're getting because. You know, I think Seth Jones, like we talked about Patrick Laine's reputation, and I think it's completely misguided that he doesn't work hard. I don't like that at all. And mm-hmm. some suggestions at Seth Jones from people who look at certain information and data that that he's not that good, I will, uh, I will strongly disagree. I think yeah. Seth Jones is a really good defenseman who – Who There's a lot of teams who want him, especially as a right shot defenseman, just kind of entering those prime years of a defenseman.
3: Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to a team this week about Seth Jones, and I'm still trying to wrap my brain around it and process exactly what they were saying. But they seem to be casting a little doubt on his productivity moving forward, you know. And it sounds funny to say, this is a guy that's 26. He's normally in fantastic shape. Like you can't play 26 minutes a night the last three seasons without being in that unbelievable shape. But I think some teams were curious, at least in the one that I talked to and I'll pass this along freely. Uh, and I don't think they're trying to cast any sort of shadow on Seth Jones and whatever he brings back. It's going to be a massive haul for Columbus, but they were saying, they think that he's on the back nine that he, you know, they're going to start to see perhaps a little bit of a drop off quicker than, you know, maybe some other players that are out there. And he may not be worth exactly what he ends up getting. I don't know how you make that determination. I mean, you can look at his point productivity and obviously it's, it's gone a little bit downhill, but 26 years old, like he's not, he's right in the prime of his career. Yeah. And the other thing I, the,
1: there, no, I, I would caution that for two reasons. Number one, you look at the last 17 months of NHL, it's been in a pandemic, right? In a bubble and different players are going to react differently to that. There's no fans. There's so many other things that, that go into it that, you know, and, and players now, Frank, are like, we're seeing players maintain their peak years longer than we ever have before because they're in great shape. So I would, I would probably I- dis- disagree with
3: that. I hesitated even sharing it because I'm like, this doesn't look to me at all or feel like a player at all that ha- you know has any part of that drop off coming anytime soon. Yep. You know, well, but hey, maybe we'll put that in with uh,
1: producer Ty now
3: for uh, for save,
1: buy or sell. Yeah, um, save I'm that clip when, the, when yeah. the Seth Jones deal gets done. As uh, we welcome in producer Ty for another uh, stirring rendition of buy or sell.
0: Yes, I've been working on my questions hard all week, losing sleep over these next five I'm about to throw at you guys. Oh boy. Uh, as always, By Ourselves brought to you by Jock Market. Check them out, jockmkt.com. Find them on your app store as well. That promo code DFO50 gets you a $50 deposit bonus. It's U.S. Open weekend. You know me, I'm a big fan of golf majors, and I'm a big fan of wagering on golf weight, on uh, golf majors. So Jock Market is a great way to do that. Uh, the first question we got here, the GM of the Year Award. Had uh, some interesting debates around it. You have Zito, you have Bergevin, you have Lamarello. I'm going to say Zito should be the winner of this award. Frank, are you buying? And if you're selling, you got to tell me who you would have as the winner.
3: I am buying. Uh, I think the, you know, the moves that Bill Zito made, um, I think just really fit this team. I think he had an idea of what he wanted to go after. Um, you know, you look at some of the additions, you know, even at the trade deadline, people were saying, you know, two second round picks for Sam Bennett, what's going on there. And then he, he comes in and has the run that he did. Um, you know, I think there were some Rocky moments for Bill Zito, some learning experiences. I think the Keith Yandle situation probably spiraled out of control in a way in the beginning of the season that it didn't need to. Uh, so I don't think that it was a year without some hiccups, but I think that, he put the Florida Panthers back on the map or at least helped.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm buying all the way. I just look at the amount of moves he made and what worked. Like when you can sign Verhege Duclair and Wenberg for a total of like five million dollars and get all the points that you got from those guys. That in itself, because to me, the GM's job is to make his team better and and via trades. And then the Sam Bennett trade was cool. Even Nunevara they gave up a, a fourth rounder, and that guy's you know a regular top six defenseman for you every night all season long. He's not flashy, but he fills a role. Uh, on your team. And, you know, even the, you know, they went out and got Gusev. And I know he didn't do much in the playoffs, but down the stretch, he had five points in 11 games. Like every big move the they Hornquist
0: made, deal as well. Yeah.
1: They, every big move they made seemed to work. But I will say this Mark Bergman, as a GM, when you look at the uh, Anderson trade, you look at the uh, Edmondson signing, you look at the Toffoli signing, like those are three ma- massive impacts for your team. So uh, I think he's there. I saw a lot of people saying, well, Breeze boss should get it. And I'm like, well, why? Because he, you know, <laughs> they, he convinced Kucherov to, to have this wait until December. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I don't, I don't like, this is about the, I think it should be the regular season. Cause usually it's always guys who are in the conference final. Yeah. And the fact that Bill Zito was in this year and he's not in the conference final says a lot about yeah, what people that's thought what about his it. year. So yeah. I would go with him, but Bergeron's moves. And I know Bergeron is on the hot seat in Montreal. They've paid off for sure.
0: 100%. Uh, feels like we're starting to get, you know, maybe the ball rolling on a potential Jack Eichel trade, starting to hear about teams involved and all that. Uh, I'm going to say Eichel traded before the Stanley Cup is handed out. Jason, you buying or selling? I'm selling. I don't,
1: uh, it is rare to see massive trades uh, during the cup finals. Usually, uh, Gary frowns upon those type of announcements. I know you can do it uh, as long as it's not on a game day, but. Um, historically, usually we see big deals, uh, the week right before the draft. I think if you're Buffalo and you're the GM, you're, you're going to want to be playing off those other teams because Jack Eichel is a pretty big name and uh, you're going to want as much time as you can to make them think. So I will
3: sell. I'm going to sell Tyler. I thought you said you were working on these questions all week long. Come on. That's an easy sell. Not before the cup final. Too many teams are still holding meetings. Um, I think it's like, you know, right before the draft. Although see before the draft,
1: you could have had me thinking because look at the Subban and Weber and the hall trades that was happened after the draft. So there is that small chance that, cause yeah. I don't know if a first rounder in this year's draft is like the crucial piece of that Eichel deal.
0: Doesn't Buffalo think they have an edge or something in this year's draft. <laughs> All right. One of the teams are hearing involved in the Eichel talk is uh, the Anaheim ducks also here in the LA Kings. Potentially sounds like it could be a busy summer in California, I'm going to say that the Ducks are going to be the busiest club this summer out of the three California teams. Frank, you buying or selling?
3: I'm buying. I think Bob Murray uh, knows that this rebuild hasn't gone as quickly as he might have expected. I think that the clock is ticking, and I think that he's someone that wants to make big moves. Now, whether he can pull them off or not is a different story, but I think there's certainly an appetite to do so. Now, Ty, this is a good question because I think all three of these teams might be in the top five or six busy because Doug Wilson,
1: the San Jose Sharks, like they're either going to decide we're going for it one last time. They got to get a goalie. No need question. a goalie. Or if they don't get that, all of a sudden he might move off like one of his big defensemen, right? Like they've got so much money on the back end. Who's and taking you know, one of them? Well, Brent Burns still has value in my eyes. No question about it. I, Brent Burns can play. I watch a if lot of If you're
3: Seattle. Do you take Brent Burns? Well, I don't I think, think I, I don't think they would expose Brett. Like that
1: would be awful uh, for sen- you. Can't lose Brett Burns for nothing. You've got to what? find a way. To well, that contract. contract suddenly gives you the space you need to to do other things. Yeah, but he's the best of the three you got to try to convince Vlasic to waive it, and then I don't think they'll take him. But um, Brent Burns, if you lost Brent Burns for nothing just to free up cap space, like he's he's not a he's not a guy who's not producing, so I I wouldn't do that. But I I'm gonna say the L, I'm gonna sell and say the L.A. Kings. I think this is the year the L.A. Kings uh, they're gonna make a big move, and uh, I'm gonna go with the L.A. Kings.
0: Uh, let's come up to Canada here, where a similar question. I think there will be a lot of Canadian teams looking to make some changes. But I'll say the Edmonton Oilers will be the busiest of all the Canadian teams this off season. Jason, you buying or selling? I guess by sheer volume of moves, I'll say yes because
1: right now there's Nugent Hopkins, Larson, and Barry and Smith that are UFA's. Like. They got to sign at least, like, I think Smith's the most likely one, but they got to sign at least one, if not two of those free agents, if they can forwards, then they got to fill out the rest of the roster. But when it comes to major moves, I still have a sneaking suspicion that Toronto Maple Leafs are going to try to do something. Cause what are they going to do with their goaltender? Cause I don't think Jack Campbell's a starting goaltender. I think he's a really good story. I don't think he's a guy who can take it to the to conference final or to the, to the final. So um, I think in quantity of moves, it'll be Edmonton. But I don't know. So does that, I guess that qualifies for busiest, but I don't know if they'll make the biggest
3: splash. I I think the biggest splash uh, I'm going to, I'm going to sell, you know, we didn't even mention two of the other fascinating teams this summer, Calgary and Vancouver. I mean, I think much like Edmonton, this is a summer that they've been waiting for Vancouver's in the same boat. Uh, Obviously they need to get their deals done with Pedersen and Hughes, but I think their team, That, you know, could also potentially be in buyout territory, make a move to free up some cap space and then, you know, improve their team and and Calgary as well. You know, we've been saying for a while now that it, you know, it certainly appears that there's no management change coming that there's going to be a significant change to the core of that team. So in terms of uh, quality over quantity, you know, I I would say that, you know, busiest might be in terms of reinventing the core Calgary is, is certainly in that mix.
0: Last one for you here. You touched on Brent Burns potentially to the Kraken uh, just on the topic of Seattle. I'm going to say they will land a top free agent this off season. And I won't throw a name attached to it or anything, but I'll say sort of one of the consensus top five, six, seven free agents this year. Oh, One, like of, them will find a way. <laughs> one of them will find a way to go to Seattle. Frank, I'll uh, let you go first then. You buying or selling?
3: I'm buying. I think um, a lot of people saw how, you know, Before, you know, 15, 20 years ago when the NHL last expanded, there was like this dread of going to an expansion team because of how uh, poorly that team was expected to do on the ice. You saw in Vegas, everything changed, you know, that team, you know, hit the ice running and not only that, but what a fantastic market to live in. I think Seattle has a lot of the same reputation. The fan base is juiced up, you know, waiting, waiting list for tickets. Uh, that arena is going to be unbelievable and it's a world-class city. So you add all those things up plus, you know, a smart management group. Um, I think there's lots of people that are going to be intrigued, especially with a pretty deep free agent class this year. I think there's going to be lots of interest to go to Seattle.
1: I think the flat cap is definitely helping Seattle. I'm reading a book right now called the psychology of money. And one of the big things is how a lot of people see things that happened in the past. So they want to mirror it. In a lot of cases, that's not the best path. And so while Vegas had a lot of success, and I'm hearing having had conversations, the Seattle ownership groups feel like, Hey, we're going to be just as competitive as Vegas, not necessarily make it to the Stanley cup final in the first year, But that's their goal. So I think they will go out and spend and I think they will be in a position to offer more money and term than some other teams are willing to do on their free agents. So that'll get them the players they want. But it's funny, if you look at Vegas, their path didn't go after big signing free agents, right? They made some astute trades. So it in theory would be a little bit different. I think they're going to land one, Tyler. I'm not necessarily certain it's going to be the best decision.
0: There you go. Those are your five. That is buy or sell brought to you by jock market again, jockmkt.com. And that promo code is DFO50. You redeemed
1: yourself, Ty. Those are some good questions I like. Now, Frank, before I go quickly, see the Vancouver Canucks, I agree with you. They'll make big moves with the, you know, they got to re-sign Pedersen and Hughes. um, Although I'm not sure they're going to be as long-term contracts as some people suggest, because see, I think Vancouver is one year away from being a, they still got some guys on, on long on contracts that they don't like. And, you know, maybe they can buy out one of them, but I'm, I'm really, I'm interested about Vancouver. Like I think Vancouver has to try to go bargain hunting like Bill Zito did right. Mm -hmm. And, and find those diamonds in the rough for cheap and and hope that that can get you through till next summer when they have more cap flexibility.
3: Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, look, every team with a flat cap needs to go bargain hunting for the most part. Yeah. I mean, there's very few teams that have ample cap space to do whatever they please. So, um, you know, I agree. I, I think they have a, a decent foundation there. We've talked about this in the past, like with how well Demko played this year, um, you know, with with Hughes on the back end and Horvat as captain driving the bus and then Pedersen when he's healthy, like they have all the foundational, you know, boxes checked off. Now it's about surrounding that group with the proper talent. And I think they have some of it towards the top end, but they don't have the depth towards the bottom end to really compete. And so their defense is really what, you know, that's where your eye and focus needs to be is they made a bet last year that they could have some young guys step in and play more minutes. That didn't work out. And now they're going to need to properly surround that group. Well, uh, we've got uh,
1: Tampa, and uh, they're leading their series, and I think they're kind of on the way to what we expected to happen. Uh, Montreal and Vegas, we will have a uh, game three tonight in Montreal. they got a 1,000 extra fans. It's up to 3,500. And I'm curious to see how Vegas, after being in a madhouse now, kind of goes back. And you heard Brad Larson talk about it in Chicago. It's kind of a thud after the anthem because it wasn't the same. I wonder if if Montreal has a little bit of home ice advantage with a smaller crowd because they're used to it where Vegas, it might, and Vegas has struggled, Frank, in the first 10 minutes in both games this series, and really, for, you know, the first 10 minutes of a lot
3: of games. I wonder how much that impacts this series now. Yeah, I hadn't really considered that or given that much thought. I will say, though, coming off of that loss, that I think you're going to see a different intensity from Vegas right off the hop, and so I think that that was really what was missing in game two. They didn't have that same juice that they've had, that they had almost every night in the Colorado series, apps in game one. And so I think you're going to see that return and, and maybe negate some of, you know, whatever that may exist in that quiet, quieter environment. I look
1: forward to a busy weekend
3: of uh, NHL conference, final playoffs.
1: And of course uh, we got another edition of the pod coming up on Monday. Have a great weekend, Frank. We'll talk to you then.
0: Thanks for listening to the DFO rundown with Sarah Volley and Gregor. Keep it locked on
1: DailyFaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode.
0: But there's more. you got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game and finally you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring will it be a barn burner in the first a shootout in the second or a nail biter in the third that's up to you to decide now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff for the daily winners you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team and for the big dogs those who can win an entire round it's straight